Have you seen your electric bill for the month yet? It's probably time for you to tell ComEd that it's just not working out between the two of you. Time for you to switch to solar with Sopel Solar, S-O-P-E-L, solar.com. Brent Sopel, who played for the Chicago Blackhawks, who helped the Hawks win a Stanley Cup. Brent Sopel is going to help you switch to solar, increase the value of your home, get a 25-year warranty, and start saving money right after installation. It's really easy to do. Set up a consultation, which is all done online at SopelSolar.com, S-O-P-E-L, Solar.com. Zero money down. Tax breaks are huge for this. Take control of your finances. For the first time ever, have cost certainty with SopelSolar.com. It's car con carne. So this is Carcoon Carney. I'm James Van Osdell. And the way this show usually works is I meet a guest in my car outside a Chicago area or suburban area, city, city restaurant, brew pub, something. But every now and then I'll talk to someone who can't jump into my front seat, who can't share jalapeno poppers and chicken tenders in the front seat, which is why I get to do these things online. My guest tonight is someone from parts uh, that are not Chicago. He is a film director, a documentary filmmaker, Dagan W. Beckett who chronicles the sad end of the Songbirds Museum in Tennessee in his new documentary, Songbirds. Dagan, lovely to see you. Nice job on the duck. Thank Uh, you, James. Thank you for uh, having me on here. uh, You did such a nice job on it that you've got a, was it a Mid-South Emmy to show for it? Right over your right shoulder? Yes, we do. Yeah. You you can't miss it. You're very well lit. You being a filmmaker and all, there's the Emmy. Famously putting it in the shot. Oh, no. If If I had an Emmy, I'd be walking with it everywhere. Yeah. I'd, I'd be in line at the Culver saying, I'd like cheese curds. By the way, I have an Emmy. What yeah. do you think about that? How about that? Uh-huh. So the Songbirds was a museum. It was essentially a shrine to the guitar. This is your first full documentary film. Why this museum? Why Songbirds as your, your first big leap? Wow, great question. Um, I guess it was just uh, the the uh film gods telling me it was my time maybe i i don't know i i've been doing uh you know film in some sort for about six or seven years before that i was a professional musician um and so i guess in the arts i've always kind of been a storyteller um you know as a i guess a musician a former musician and as a uh, a videographer, cinematographer, um, you know, Songbirds Museum was some place that I loved, and uh, I found my zen there. I found my peace. Uh, just being amongst that history of guitars is some place that was very special to me. Uh, it was a place I got to play some really cool guitars. I got to see some really great shows. Um, I got to, uh, you know, video some really cool shows there. I got to shoot some music videos there. Um, it was, it was, a it was a home for me and I found out like everybody else that it was closing and I found out on social media when they announced it and I was devastated. Um, and honestly, I just felt like it was my responsibility, um, 
to to do something to document it to document what was there i hadn't seen anything already i i had i just couldn't have believed that there wasn't already a documentary film about the largest guitar collection in the world that had already been done there was a lot of press that had been done on it but nothing substantial and so I just called up uh, Johnny, who was the uh, uh, president at the time, and we had a great relationship. And I said, you know, listen, I don't know what I want to do, but I, I'd like to bring my crew in there and and, and document and film something. I, I don't know what it is. And he just kind of stopped me mid-sentence and said, absolutely, whatever you need, you just have a week to do it before we close. <laughs> And so at that point, I'm like, do I really want to do this? Like, And so about three days later, I'd gotten my crew together. We'd gotten some sort of plan together in about two or three days. And uh, we spent one day just filming interviews with all the staff, the crew there. Uh, and then um, what was funny is that day, uh, my now producer, Irv Burner, who's in the film, approached me and he pulled me into his office and Irv was working as a curator at the time for the museum. And he said, listen, I don't have any money. I don't have any money. I don't have any budget, but would you be willing to follow me around for three days and film me giving a tour of this place? Like I would anybody else. And I said, absolutely. Oh, that would be amazing to do. And that three hours turned into a three day long shoot uh, for the next three days. So we spent about, four or five days there total filming every inch of the place, all mm -hmm. the guitars, all the interviews. We filmed the last show that was there. We filmed mm -hmm. the crew walking out for the very last time, very bittersweet moment. And then, um, yeah, about two months later, I had my first cut of the film and that was almost, um, almost two years ago. And here we are. So again, this is songbirds. It's a documentary about the songbirds museum. Like you said, the largest, collection of guitars the first acquisition they had was a, a twenty-five thousand dollar purchase of a 54 fender strat i mean this is it's a love letter to the guitar the, yeah. this movie yes it's about this museum i i guess as, as i started to watch i was surprised by a couple things one this didn't exist as a museum before this correct as i'm watching this i'm like well of course there there was a need or, or there was interest in that but then the second thought i had was this place only existed for three years mm -hmm. like it, it seems like you're documenting something that never quite got enough momentum to, to take hold. Yeah. That's the sad part about this is that um, it really took about eight years total to flesh out this vision from the, uh, from those who, who, who were the architects of this, of this endeavor. Um, it took about eight years to get all the pieces collected and together to where they were ready to open the doors. And then they were only open for three years. And I remember you know, just talking on the side in the museum, you know, just, you know, uh, to one of the, to, to the staff members, like, you know, they're finally starting to take off. They're starting to see uh, uh, some profits. The live shows were, were, were getting packed out. They were having some heavy hitter artists come in to do some shows and things were really going well. And then, bam, the pandemic hit and everything shut down. And it was one of those things that like, look, it's costing us you know, uh, this much still that we still have to pay our rent every month. And even though nobody's coming, things are shut down. We still have to properly air condition this place. The, I think they told me the humidity had to be at a certain precise level. Of course, of course. The, the security costs, like it was just, they, 
it's, we can't keep paying for this stuff and there's just no end in sight. And so unfortunately the decision had to be made. Like, listen, we just, we got to close the doors to this place and, and the guitars that were there, you know, belonged to other people and they obviously rightfully so wanted them back, wanted them back because of the pandemic. And so it's just, we just got to close it and they just had to close the doors. So um, that was, that was the end of the story. Was it Johnny at the beginning of the movie who said COVID can go suck one? That's one of the first lines of the film. He has he has since regret saying that, but I think that's one of the best lines in the film. That's what we were all thinking. Yeah. We still think it. I'm right there with him. Uh, (laughs) What's interesting, we're recording this on August 16th, 2022. It was two years ago yesterday. They closed their Mm -hmm. doors. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was it. Crazy. Again, mm-hmm. this is kind of a love letter to the guitar. Yes, you're documenting the end of this museum, and you see the last person walking through there. Like you said, you see the uh, you see them closing shop. But you know, the nerdy music fans in all of us get a thrill out of just hearing all this guitar talk. And you know, there's stuff that I guess was probably common sense, but I like hearing it articulated. The demand that the world saw after the Beatles broke push down craftsmanship like mm-hmm. suddenly there there was a period when the electric guitars were shoddier than the, the 1950s classic heyday guitars like the 1970s guitars maybe not as well made it mm-hmm. makes sense to hear it explained in this movie but i've never yes. heard it said before mm-hmm. and i'm really proud of that how we can just for me the best part about the film was uh, when I was putting this, editing this and putting the the story together was I kept thinking about my mom. My mom loves Elvis. I love the Beatles. My mom loves Elvis. And but my mom knows nothing about guitar. She knows nothing about the humbucker pickups uh, or the, uh, you know, or anything like that. Um, and so I wanted to tell a story that someone such as my mom or a mom or someone who doesn't know about guitars could get a message out of this and understand the passion behind it. And you didn't have to be a guitar nerd, but that a film that guitar geeks like myself would just love. And so that's what I'm really proud about is that we were able to explore, you know, what the Beatles did for the guitar in terms that anyone can understand and get. And I'm really proud. And Irv who's in the film and also one of my producers and one of the writers, he did an amazing job just really, laying that out let's talk about it you know before we shot let's talk about it this way let's use this language let's not make it too uh shop talky you know let's mm-hmm. let's make it you know like this so that you know people can really feel the passion and really understand uh in layman's terms why the guitar why the beatles did what they did for the guitar why the guitar is like it is speaking of elvis this is also the anniversary of elvis's death as mm-hmm. we're recording this on this day in 1977, 77, August 16th, just it, we're, we're commemorating lots of things, lots of unfortunate things as we're talking. We are. Yeah. <laughs> it's unfortunate. So the location of the museum, the location of Songbirds, Chattanooga, Tennessee, playing devil's advocate, playing cynic. Did the location hurt the long-term prognosis during COVID? Because I, when I think of Chattanooga and I realize you're, you're a Mid-South guy, it's, you know, it's what, five hours from Memphis, a couple hours away from Nashville. It's not as tourist focused as some of those other big Tennessee cities mm-hmm. that could that have factored into the 
Possibly. Um, I've, I've put a lot of thought into that actually. And in, in both discussing it with um, the visionaries for the museum and then just thinking about it after the fact, uh, one of the reasons they chose uh, the investors chose Chattanooga and it's, and they, in the film, it's, it says it's in the film. It's just really, it was the cost, you know, everybody wanted a $25,000 a month rent and the, it was just not affordable for something like this. That's never been done before. The reason they chose Chattanooga is because it was affordable. The rent was affordable. And I think, and, and I don't know that this is in the film, but really when you look at Chattanooga, as far as where it's located, it's two hours from Atlanta it's two hours from Nashville, two hours from Birmingham. You know, it's kind of like a hub that everybody's always coming through. Whether they stop in there or not, right. they're always driving through there. And so I think their thought process was, well, we'll catch a lot of traffic with people going to Nashville, going to Atlanta uh, and whatnot. And what was cool about it, and this is not something I really explored in the film. I would have loved to explore this more, but there were several artists like, you know, random people like Kevin Bacon, uh, Jackson Brown. Um, and I think we addressed this in the film, like G.E. Smith, who were just randomly on their way to a show in one of these, you know, uh, these these larger cities. And they heard about this museum and they stopped in Chattanooga just to see it and take a tour like everybody yeah. else, you know, and they're there are photos floating around online of, of of those individuals there and stuff. So I think that was their thinking, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, when COVID hit and the, the whole entertainment industry shut down, you know, obviously someplace like Chattanooga is, is not going to get, you know, the attention that, you know, the music city of Nashville is. For sure. And you, you talked about the musicians love for the museum Joe Bonamassa says at some point something to the effect of we'll never see a collection like this ever again mm -hmm. like straight up the, the, if yeah. you missed it that that was your chance mm -hmm. there it goes which i mean i, I trust what he says I, if yeah, anyone knows the guitar i would say the same thing there's there will never be and it's it's hard to explain and and really my goal with the film was to document this in a way to where you know the vision of the museum can still live on almost spiritually through the through this film. That vision can still live on forever through this film. Yeah, there's never going to be another collection like this in the world. Maybe one day, someplace else in the world, who knows? Uh, you never say never. Um, but um, it's just like it'll. It, it's a one-time thing. Like it'll it'll never happen again. And in, in, in you know a lot of our lifetimes, I hope it does. But um, hopefully, people can can kind of still you know, uh, find a love for that, even if they didn't get there through this film. Speaking of the artists, you have a lot of people, famous talking heads talking mm -hmm. about songbirds. I'm guessing you, you talked about springing into action to film this movie with, with mere days to go before closing. I'm guessing that getting those artists to talk on camera was fairly time consuming. And you conducted a lot of those after the museum was actually closed. Yeah. So, um, you know, you mentioned Joe Bonamassa. That was one of those to where we knew he was coming. We knew he was going to be in New York for a period of like two days. Um, and so one of our producers who's in the film, David Davidson, um, he actually lives in New York and and he's good friends with Joe. And Joe was coming in town for a period of two days to visit Dave. And so when we got the call from Dave, like, hey, Joe wants to be in the film 
is there any way you can do this? Yes. Let's get a plane <laughs> ticket and let's get up there. Uh-huh. And then we were filming, you know, we flew from Chattanooga to Long Island. Uh, you know, we were up there 24, 48 hours later. Uh, I'm there scripting in the plane on my notepad or on my phone, the questions for him, you know, and stuff and kind of, and, and Irv and I are kind of putting that narrative together. So, and same thing with John Schneider. I mean, John played in 2018 and I had footage of him playing while the museum was open and we tracked uh, John Schneider down. He was doing a series of things called, I think hazard fest for Dukes of hazard, sure. um, which was an experience. Um, and so we had to track him down in the middle of, of, of uh, the country doing these things. And, um, and he was more than happy to make time to sit down and, 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 and talk about these guitars. So uh, it was, it was, it was an adventure to say the least, but it, it was, I mean, it's a who who gets to do this for a living. It's it's a great it's 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 amazing, you know, to get to do this, travel the country, and and interview these uh, these artists and these uh, musicians. So, for younger people who are watching or listening, John Schneider, you mentioned Dukes of Hazard uh, to another generation, Jonathan Kent on Smallville. Mm-hmm. Just trying to make it relative. To- he was he was Jonathan Kent for me. He wasn't Bo Duke. He was more Jonathan Kent for me. Perfect. I, yeah. I, I still have a soft spot for that show. I mean, superhero television movies have evolved much since then, but yeah, that was a big deal. Back I, do, I have a soft spot for Smallville. I do. So some of the guitars and, and people mentioned, I mean, Dick Dale, who Dick Dale actually played there at the museum. He did. Mm-hmm. I mean, t- that was late in life for Dick Dale. I think he was the, if not the, he was one of the first shows they had at the museum was Dick Dale. Very early on. And it, that has to be, I mean, without even looking, it has to be one of his last shows, last performances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he passed away shortly after after that performance. So it's interesting. I mean, rock and roll to me, the electric guitar to me is rock and roll. I don't get a rock and roll feel, not for not for anything good or bad. I just don't feel rock and roll. I, just, I feel more that kind of roots of rock and roll and country vibe. Is that what the museum was? You know, it wasn't, you know, it really wasn't a lot of the artists that were in the film were simply artists that we had access to either through footage that was shot while it was open or, or, or footage that we, we were able to uh, capture after the fact from the artists who made themselves available. You know, you know, we had great footage of uh, Marty Stewart, you know, singing in the film and stuff, Mm -hmm. but um if if you were to walk the way the museum was laid out, which was cool, it was laid out. It was laid out um, in a timeline. So right when you walked in, it was a 1950s section, and then it transitioned to the 60s, and then the 70s section, and then you had your green room and your vault and all that. And so when you were there, you got mostly like uh, an early 50s vibe a rock mm-hmm. vibe there uh, than anything, but they were always changing out displays and showcases. So I think one time uh, at one point they were doing uh, women in rock. They did mm-hmm. a showcase in that they had Cheryl Crow, Bonnie Ray guitars there that they had played and stuff. So they were always changing it out and stuff, but it had a good mix of the country, the early country, the early uh, rockabilly, um, you know, stuff. It, it, it was, it, it was a little bit of everything, but you didn't really get like one one genre over another while you were there. Cool. I, I mentioned that first acquisition, the twenty five thousand dollar fifty four Fender Strat. You were filming. You had a crew there. You were embedded in Songbirds for a week. What did you totally 
geek out over? Oh, man, I'm so glad you asked me that. I was hoping you would ask me this question. I'm a left-handed guitar player. Paul McCartney's my man. Um, and, 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 and I, and, and so for me, it's a little harder just picking up a guitar and playing it. Um, the museum had this 1963, uh, Gibson ES 335 left-handed guitar. I think they told me it was worth at that time, uh, between 88 and $90,000, uh, all the original parts of this guitar. Um, and so, I, they let me play that guitar for a considerable amount of time. And every time I went there, I, I saw that guitar and that was my guitar. And I would just dream like maybe one day I can make enough money to, you know, to purchase, you know, acquire something like this. And uh, shamelessly, I put a little cameo of myself playing that guitar near the end of the film, um, just so I can wink at that every time I watch <laughs> the film. Um, but it, I think it was that guitar, uh, you know, while we were filming Joe Bonamassa in New York, up in Long Island, um, we just so happened to run into, uh, one of Paul McCartney's left-handed Hofners. And so, uh, you know, obviously that didn't make it into the film cause that wasn't an original Songbirds guitar at that time. But, you know, I was able to snap a few photos of me, uh, playing that and stuff. Um, and so, but as far as Songbirds collection guitars, it was that, uh es335 that uh that i was able to play several times that and i think that was eventually sold to a, a collector and uh man what i would do just get my hands back on that on that uh, piece of wood uh, so there's a lot of explanation as to what makes a guitar special the craftsmanship but when you pick like for those of us who don't play what's the difference i mean you're a musician mm -hmm. what's the difference between a guitar you'd pull out of the room next door or I think I see maybe see a guitar behind you. Uh, what's the difference between playing something at home and picking that guitar up? So I have, you know, with me, you know, I have a, I have a Fender Strat and it's not a vintage Strat. It's, I mean, I've had it for about maybe 10 years. Um, and it's just your standard and, and it plays well. It plays good. Um, it gets the job done for me when I'm just doodling around here at the home uh, and stuff. But when I pick up a 1963 guitar, there's a couple of factors that you can tell a difference in the, the number one thing is the tone. It's like the tone is much more full. It's got uh, a little bit more hep to it. It's um, you know, it's just, it's just a bigger tone, a more authentic tone. Um, and I think that goes just to the wood, the original wood that was made. And it's like, a, I mean, guitars are like that or hollow guitars like that are like a fine wine. The older they get, the better they sound. You know, if, if you're, the more the wood ages, you know, just the more beautiful that guitar is going to sound. And so I think that's a lot to do to it. Plus, I mean, they spent so much more time crafting those guitars, mm -hmm. being intentional with the fingerboards and the frets. And so when you, it's like the difference between sleeping on a firm mattress and a pillow top mattress, you know, it's just, it just, it's just so much more comfortable, which makes you, I think a better player. Um, and stuff. So I think it's a combination of, um, you know, how it was constructed. Um, Dave Davidson in the film, actually, um, if he ever listens to this, he's probably going to kill me for saying this and, and, and rebuke this, but he did say this. He says, if you, if you decide you want to buy a Fender Stratocaster today, he would recommend buying a Mexican Strat that's cheaper than an American Strat. It's like, well, why? I'm going to buy American Strat. I don't want to buy a, a cheap, you know, Mexican-made Strat. He says, no, buy a Mexican-made Strat 
because the working conditions in the American assembly versus the Mexican assembly or factory warehouses are totally different. These people in Mexico who come and build these guitars love their job. They come in celebrating the fact that they get to make guitars. They got music playing in there and they give those guitars some love when they build those guitars, even though it's made from cheaper wood, but it's made with much more love than that you would get in an American factory, you know? And so for me, that plays a lot to do with what I'm playing is the love it's been given. Cause I know if it's been given a lot of love, then just that much more attention to detail is going to be there. And, and that means a lot to me as a player. This isn't really a spoiler per se, but the building now functions as a not-for-profits. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, this is not a spoiler at all. Um, this is kind of the bittersweet part of, the, of of our story is that when they built the museum, at the same time, they created what they call the Songbirds Foundation. And essentially what the Songbirds Foundation is, is they take, for an example, if you donate $100 to the Songbirds Foundation, what that $100 does is it goes to give a guitar, put a guitar in the hands of a student, and it's their guitar, like it's theirs forever, acoustic guitar in the hands of a student, and it gives them one year worth of uh, music lessons. It gives them all the the, the tools and, and, and the curriculum they need to learn to play the guitar. Uh, that's what $100 does. So the Songbirds Foundation really fosters education uh, and given opportunities for children uh, and young people to play who wouldn't get that in a, in a school system. Um, and so that's something that meant a lot to uh, the founders of the museum to be able to give back to, to the community. Now, just because the museum closed as a business didn't mean the Songbirds Foundation, the nonprofit, that didn't close. That kept going. And so the they saw an opportunity, okay, well, maybe we can just move into that space and 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 we can we can try to work out of that space since the museum's not gonna be there anymore. And so in doing that, I think it was a total of maybe between two, 40 and 200 of the guitars. I mean, there were 1,200 guitars in that collection, but about 40 to 200 of them were actually donated to the Songbirds Foundation. So they said, okay, let's move in that space. Let's make it into, let's reopen it. Let's take a year. And so what they did is after a year, maybe a year and a half, they reopened it. Um, and it's called the Sombers Foundation, but they have some of those guitars that were donated back on display um, there. They've got other uh, they've got other things on display. Like uh, it's more educational things. Like, you know, you can go in there and, and play a guitar and it shows how the acoustics work. It's more of an educational Right. Uh, like a traditional space. traditional museum, like yeah, you know, and uh, but they're back to having live shows there, and the sign's back on, the Songbird sign is back on, and you can go and see some live shows. The artists are coming back, and every dime that is made in that place through live shows, tours, you know, if that people rent it out, all that goes back into the Songbirds Foundation. And I think last year they served like, and and we put the numbers in the film. I think like maybe 3,500 kids got guitars, you know, it's, it's amazing what they're doing. So it's like, they've taken up the mantle to do what they can with what they have to kind of get that place back open. But as far as the collection is concerned, that's, that's documented in the film, that collection is, is gone. And unfortunately will never come back. So it is bittersweet. The lights yeah. are on good stuff is happening there, but it's, it's yeah, not the same thing. It's not, it's, it's not, unfortunately it's not. 
So Songbirds, again, is the documentary. It is a VOD video on demand. Mm -hmm. I I guess kind of dovetailing off what we just talked about, you're a documentarian. Mm -hmm. You saw a story, you found it. When is done done? Like, were you finished with the movie before this popped up before the foundation dropped in and then you thought oh we've got to we got to keep going or like how how do you know when to walk away from uh, telling the story? i think uh, we had about five different endings at one point and um it, it's like as the foundation progressed and what they were doing we had to continually continually tweak our ending to kind of line up with them um and, and that's that was totally fine that was totally fine but it was frustrating at times like you think you're done submitting it to film festivals and then oh we got to change the ending again you know and uh, just to reflect what they're doing and stuff uh and so uh but it's been an amazing process it's been an amazing ride and but uh, you know like anybody who's an artist will understand whether you're a musician in the studio or a filmmaker or a painter at some point you know you just have to stop and say okay this is it you know i can keep tampering with it more um and honestly, we had enough footage. We, you know, the, it's only a little over an hour long, the film. Mm-hmm. We could have done an hour and 30. We could have done an hour and 45. But, you know, I, I didn't want I didn't want to put people to sleep. You know, I, I wanted quality over quantity and I wanted to be very well paced. And it ended up being just, I think, 61, 62 minutes. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's an easy watch. Uh, and I would just encourage anyone you don't have to be a guitar nut. You don't have to have an extensive history of, of music to get anything out of this. In fact, I would argue I would go into this not knowing anything. And then that you're just that much more um, enlightened after you get through watching it, learning the stuff about our history when it comes to music and, and, and hearing the stories of these people who connected. Because at the end of the day, it's not about the event that happened. It's about the relationships that were built. Uh, within this place and i really wanted the heart of this film to be about the relationships that were fostered and made and and i think we can't i think we did a good job of communicating that i hope we did mm-hmm. and stuff so um if you just love a good story you know easy watch check it out we you know we would lo- we would love it i would well, love it well if there's one thing you knew going into it music creates community ex- yeah ex- exactly and that, that scene in the movie again it's songbirds it's a documentary you can watch it it is a very digestible 61 minutes this show is 101 right leave them wanting more yeah like, exactly yeah yeah exactly and uh and no spoilers and no promises but i mean we got a lot more we're gonna tell going forward you know there's still a lot more to unpack in the next few years so there's there's more to be more to be said and we're excited about that well i like what you said at the beginning of the call you you saw an opportunity to tell a story like yeah it just Sometimes you just people have that instinct and they know this is it. This is the moment. It's go time. We're doing yeah. this. Yeah, we may not have all the details, but there's something there. We need to do it. And it's it's better to do it and regret it and uh, ask for forgiveness than regret not doing it at all. So 100 uh, percent. Well, really nice job on the movie, Dagan. And thank you thank for you. talking about it. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's been an honor. I, I appreciate you uh, making time for this.